0: Well, good morning. My name is Cy Huffer. I'm the lead minister here at College Heights Christian Church. And man, we're excited that you have joined us today to worship Jesus. Um, whether you've been here for 30 years or 30 minutes, it's great to have you here. Um, just to kind of help you a little bit with some of your expectations as you come in here. I don't know what you expected when you came to church today. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, or you've been here for, you know, just for forever. Um, but I don't know if you expected... If this is like your first day at church or you've not come and you're, you used to attend church or maybe you've attended lots of other churches your first time here. Maybe you expected a choir in robes or a preacher in a suit. Maybe you expected to sing a certain types of songs or hymns or praise songs, something you hear on the radio. or Maybe you expected a priest behind a pulpit or something. Um, but this is here is just kind of my ask of you today. Whatever those expectations are, would you just kind of put them to the side today and just be here in this moment, and experience just the service for what it is, for the sermon, for what it is, what's happening for what it is, and not comparing it to anything else, because we believe this. This is who we are. We at College Heights, we're jacked up, messed up sinners like you, like me, and we want to be inclusive of everybody, no matter their skin color, the language you speak, how much is in your bank account, or who you vote for. We are exclusive on Jesus, absolutely, 100%. You can expect that when you come into this room that we're gonna talk about Jesus because we are a Jesus church. And our mission, why we exist, is to help others, people, help everybody follow Jesus to be changed by him and to get on mission with him. That's why we live and breathe. That's what we do. And so you can expect that. And if you expect at least for us to be about Jesus, then you're in the right place because that's what we're all about. And so we are so glad that you're here. We are exclusive on Jesus, but inclusive to everyone else as long as you come and you want to try and figure out how to live life here on this broken earth also. So let me uh, help you with that today about what your expectations are. We are going to talk about Jesus each and every week because the reality is this, that we all have expectations we bring to everything. Everything. That we do. This is actually what's gotten me into so much trouble. I want to be a little bit open with you today, like some confession time for the preacher. Um, so here it is. I am a dreamer. Like unapologetically, I live in the clouds in the future. We get done with one trip we get home, I start thinking about the next one. I mean, I just love thinking about the future. I love trying to think about the best experience, the most fullest experience that we could possibly get. Uh, there's, if you could have a spirit animal, that's like a, a character from a movie or TV show, this would be my spirit animal. It's Clark W. Griswold from family vacation. I mean, that's me. Everything, I want it to be the biggest, the best, the brightest, the most fun, the most exciting, and that's just who I've been for as long as I can remember. Uh, This played itself out in my junior uh, prom uh, in high school. I was in charge of prom somehow, and so I went around and I had this this beautiful plan. where I, there was this girl that I liked, right? Okay, but she, we weren't like dating or anything. She went to a different school. And so in order for it to be like cool and not like weird or anything, um, I got her to be one of my four dates to my junior prom. <laughs> right? I said, hey, let's all go just as friends and I'll take everybody and I'll make it all work. And they're like, yeah, we want to go to your prom anyway. So, so she was one of my four dates. It was four dates. They all had different colored dresses and I didn't know what the colors were, but I had to pick out corsages. I nailed it. It was amazing, okay? Had like the neutral colors, black and white, white. Someone always wears red, so you can get the red one, and all that kind of stuff. So I had it all, they had two girls on each arm on the way in writing stuff, and it was crazy. but so we get into prom, and uh, I had this whole plan out. The DJ I had hired him. We had talked. We had this kind of uh, amazing plan in place where the very last song that we played was this perfect song. That, and I wouldn't dance with the girl I liked until the very end of prom, and she'd be want to dance. Hey, you're my date. We haven't danced yet. Let's dance together. And so I knew that when this music, this song would come on.
1: That's the song.
0: How did you know? That's what a is. Okay, so that's the song that plays, and I had the DJ ready, and she saw me. She says, It's my turn. I said, Come on over, girl. And so we started dancing, and um, I knew that we were going to fall in like, Keep that song going. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, but I knew that, like, we would, she would fall in love with me, and we would tell, we'd grow up and date, and she's my girlfriend, and we'd get married, we'd have kids, we'd tell them about this moment, and this song would be our song. And then there'd be one day you would be preaching a sermon, and she'd be sitting on the front row. And I would get to tell this whole story and she'd be grinning from ear to ear, right? And none of that happened. (laughs) Like not any of it. We went on one date and she totally just broke it off and gave me the cold shoulder. And that's what happens to me. I build up all these expectations in my head and I'm like ready for this moment. And I think it's going to be this beautiful thing and these beautiful plans, these beautiful dreams. And honestly, what happens to me is this, that the reality never lives up to the fantasy. And it just crushes me. And what happens is I go through life and when I don't catch myself and watch myself, my Clark A.W. Griswold comes out. And life, the real life that I live, I actually don't enjoy all that much because it never meets the crazy built up ideas I have in my head. Let me ask you these two questions if you agree, just raise your hand. Did you or do you have dreams or expectations of what life should look like? Raise your hand. Yeah, pretty universal. Let me ask you this question. Have you had expectations about life that has let you down? Yeah. So here's, here's what I want to ask you today is this. This is the question I want to kind of focus in on. What do you do when your expectations let you down. This is true about life, yes. Expectations about what it's gonna look like, but it's also more true about God. Let me show you what I mean. There's this story in the Gospel of John, this book written by a guy named John about his mentor, his teacher, Jesus, where he tells a story of two women who have expectations of what Jesus should do. Take a look at this, John 11, verses one through three. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. See, Mary and Martha, they had expectations on Jesus of what he should do because, you know, they grew, they they were really good friends with Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're brothers and sisters and, and Jesus would come over, he's one of their friends. They would hang out, they'd play pickleball together and eat barbecue and play board games and watch the office. They were just good buddies and they're close So when Lazarus gets really sick, now this is not just like a cold, this is like he's on his deathbed. They send word to Jesus because they know that Jesus can heal people. They're thinking, we saw him heal a stranger, a lame man at the pool of Siloam. Surely he's gonna heal the one he loves. We saw him heal a blind man in John chapter nine in Jerusalem in the temple court. Surely he's going to heal the one he loves. We even saw him heal a son of an official, In Galilee, who is most likely a non-Jew or a Gentile, like the the other, that person, the other ethnicity we don't like, surely Jesus who healed that guy, surely he's gonna heal the one he loves. here's the things, here's the way things are, whether it's right or not, this is what we do. We all, just like Mary and Martha, we all have expectations of God. Expectations of what he means when he says that he will bless you, that he will give you full life. This is what we do. We take pictures of this moment. We put hashtag blessed on it. It's like, this is, this is what life, look, look at me. I'm so blessed with me and my family or me and my new car or me and my new job. Because the reality is we use that word because Jesus promised to Abraham and to his people and to us that we are blessed, that we will be blessed. What do you think of when you hear the phrase blessed by God? Is this blessed with happiness? with a happy, easy marriage, with lots of money, with obedient children, with lots of healthy friendships, with good physical health? What does it mean to have the full life? Like, what does that mean to you when you hear that phrase? Is it lots of fun or lots of friends? Is it a timely promotion or increased production at work? Is it freedom from travel or, or, or freedom to travel or freedom from pain and suffering? You see, we all have expectations that we project upon God as to what it means when he says that we will be blessed, that we will have full life. We think to us, blessed and full life means X. It means this, and if we don't get it from God, then something must be wrong about God. Either he isn't good and doesn't care or he isn't powerful enough to give us what he promises. See, this is where Mary and Martha are at. For them, full life and the blessed life is that Jesus heals Lazarus from his sickness. That's their expectation. But look what happens in verse 4. When he, this is Jesus, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end to de- in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. So Jesus' words set the expectation for his disciples Lazarus isn't going to die. That's what he said, the sickness won't end in death. That's the, bl- the blessed life, the full life that Jesus promises. No sickness, no pain, no suffering. And, and there's this teaching out there that says that when you follow Jesus, when you're faithful to him, that you're gonna have health and wellness, right? That you're gonna be wealthy and have lots of money in the bank account and that you are gonna be healthy physically if you have enough faith. And you believe and you pray the pra- right prayers. But then look at what happens in verses five through six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You can't help but wonder, did he not get the memo? Like, did, did he not understand what the word sick meant? Like, can you think, be one of the disciples and you're like, those two days, it's like you're cooking out and you're grilling and you're around the fire and you're eating food and you're taking naps and they're like going, Jesus, this is fun and all, but. Don't you remember that Lazarus is sick? Like what were they doing those two days? What were they thinking Jesus was doing? Because here's what happens is a lot of times in our minds in these moments when we have these expectations of God that get crushed, it's because God's words, what he promises, God's promises and his actions, they don't seem to make any sense. Like what he says and what he does in our minds are two totally different things than what we ever expected. Let me ask you it this way. What do you do when God lets you down? Like, what do you do? When the very words that God said to you don't seem as if his actions are backing them up. Philip Yancey in his book, Where is God When it Hurts? Begins by telling the story of John and Claudia Claxton. Their newlyweds in their early 20s, just beginning their life in the Midwest. And Nancy writes about how this romantic love between these two twitter-pated people had truly transformed John from this like rugged kind of exterior, these rough edges, cynical man, to an optimist glowing about his life, glowing about his new wife. And all that came to a halt when Claudia was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, the cancer of the lymph glands and was given only 50% chance to live. So within a week, surgeons had cut her from the armpit to the belly, removing every visible trace of the disease. She was left stunned and weak, lying in a hospital bed, beauty fleeing from her body and face overnight, skin darkened, hair falling out, her throat raw from regurgitating everything that she tried to eat. They cried out to God. They're like, God! God! God why God why us like why us have you teasingly doled out one happy year of marriage to set us up for this there are no posts with hashtag blessed this is not the full life that God had promised this is supposed to be the first year of marriage with new experiences new adventures new life living together vacation together and John was a chaplain at the hospital I mean he's doing the Lord's work why us if they were gonna be at a hospital in the first year of their marriage, it should have been for a baby being born, not for this. It reminds me of the words that Mar- Martha and Mary both cry out to Jesus when they see him. They say, Gee, Lord, if you if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, like why didn't you come? Can you see all of the implications? In between these words, why didn't you come? You let me down. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So what do you do when your expectations of God let you down? Look at the choice that Martha must make. Verse 22, she says this, even though you let me down, even though I know that if you had been here, my brother would not have died, she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Right, this is, let me translate that for you. She's saying like this, God, Jesus, yeah, I know. I get that I have hope that one day God will make all things new, the resurrection will happen and that everything will be made right. And there'll be no more pain or suffering. I get all of that. I don't need a theological lesson today, God. I don't need that right now. I don't need that kind of hope because right now, My brother died and you could have stopped it. And then Jesus said to her these words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, there's always this mystery surrounding God and the hope that he promises when our expectations of him are broken. He says, blessed and full life. Yet with our perspective, we don't feel so blessed and we don't feel like life is that full. So what do we do? What do we do when the mystery of hope envelops us and we either have to lean in to God or reject him when our expectations are broken? Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he will make all things right, that what he is allowing will truly work out for the good of those who love him, that his plan and his definition of blessed and full life is better than ours? It's fascinating how Martha responds to the question. Look at verse 27. She says this, Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe, you ready for this, that you are the Messiah The son of God who is to come into the world. Did you notice what she didn't say? She didn't say, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. She can't even grasp it. Like she can't even grasp the idea of this human being, this person right in front of her, being resurrection. Like being resurrection. All hope encompassed in one person. She can't even grasp it. So what does she do? She says, I don't even understand what you're saying right now. But do you know this? I believe in you. As much as my mind understands, I trust you. The choice we're all faced with when our expectations of God let us down is this. What are we going to lay down? We're going to lay down our expectations or God. God. The Holocaust is one of the most atrocious things that ever happened in the modern world. Jews who were God's people whom he called blessed were gathered up throughout Europe, sent to concentration camps where they were tortured, gassed, and burned by the millions. And Elie Wiesel in his memoir called Night recounts the horrors of being one of the millions of Jews that were arrested and put in a concentration camp. It tells a story of being in a line with other Jews, walking past the latest atrocity that the Nazis had committed against the people in the camp. Three people were hanging on these gallows. Two adults, dead. They just left their bodies up there as a statement. But then there was a third one who was a child who was not heavy enough to have died at this point. He said, that child, as we stood in line waiting, lingered between life and death for half an hour. Face gasping for air turning red he said I will never forget the raspy gaspy voice of the person behind me that said for God's sake where is God and he said this within me I heard a voice answer where is God he's there he's there Hanging on the gallows, implying God is dead. What do you do when it feels like God lets you down? In the middle of the mystery of life, in the middle of death, of pain, of suffering, of hell on earth, how do you view God in the mysterious and horrendous now of suffering? You either reject him completely and you lay God down, hung on the gallows, or you lean in. Corey Tinboom was also a victim of the Holocaust. Her family were Christians that had hid Jews in their house to keep them safe from the Nazis. And yet, when the Nazis found the Jews that they were hiding, they sent the Jews and Corey Tinboom and her family to the concentration camps. She was the only one in her family, the only member to make it out alive losing everything but her faith. And in her book called The Hiding Place, she says she was broken and burdened with what it meant to follow Christ in a literal hell on earth. There's this section of her book where she just wrestles about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? She says, what does it mean to have forgiveness of my enemies? As I'm watching the soldiers commit these atrocities against the other people in the camp, what do I do? How do I forgive them? Jesus, God, I need your power, your forgiveness to overflow out of me to these others. This is the choice. that, In the mystery mystery of our broken relationships, broken expectations of God, this is the choice of what it means to live the full life, the blessed life, that when our expectations of God let us down, we don't lay God down. We lay our expectations down. It's what enabled her to make this statement. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, seriously, preacher? Like, are you serious? How are we supposed to, in the midst of infertility, in the midst of divorce, in the midst of aging parents or wayward kids, in the midst of pain and depression and loneliness and suffering, how are we supposed to believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Like, what do you do? When your expectations let you down. But what did Mary and Martha do? What does that look like for them? You got to see how the scene unfolds. Martha goes in, she gets Mary, and Mary comes out to see Jesus. And all the mourners in the community of the Jews that were with Mary in the house, they go out to see Jesus too. And Mary says the exact same words verbatim to Jesus that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's saying, you let me down, God. You let me down. I expected to be blessed the full life, and you failed me. Then look at what happens in verses 33 and following. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then came two words, these two words that shocked me every time I read them, that if I'm not careful, I blow right over them and I just ignore them and I just let them just flow by the wayside. I look at something else in the chapter. These two words, back to back, one whole verse, Jesus wept. He wept. Even though he knew what he was getting ready to do. Because here's, here's the spoiler alert. If you've never read this story, if you don't know this story, here's the end of the story. It's this, I'm gonna give it to you up front. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He calls out to him, he says, Lazarus, come out. And he does, and they are reunited and the family lives happily ever after. But that's not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is this, that Jesus wept before he raised Lazarus from the dead, God in the flesh, knowing what he was going to do in the end, saw the pain, the suffering of Mary and Martha, and he felt it in his gut. And it overwhelmed him. It tore him up inside, so much so that his emotions overtook him and he just blubbered and wept. It became a mess. It broke him, even though he knew the resurrection was coming. He felt their pain, and he wept. He didn't give them answers. He didn't whisper and tap them on the shoulders and pull them aside. Hey, I'm going to raise them from the dead. It's going to be okay. No, he just wept. And he shared with them in their pain. In the midst of our pain, in our broken expectations, let's get real here for a moment. Let me ask you, let's let's just... Take off the facade of religiosity and church and let's just get real for a moment. In the midst of your pain. would some philosophical or theological answer as to why suffering exists in the world, would it make? It hurt any less. Like would it make the loss of a loved one or a spouse or a friend or your depression or, or broken relationships? Would it make it hurt any less? if you knew the reason why those things exist in the world. Rich Mullins, in his song, Hard to Get, said it this way. And I know you bore our sorrows. And I know you bore our pain. I know it would not hurt any less, even if it could be explained. And I know that I am only lashing out at the one who loves me most. And after I figure this somehow, all I really need to know is if you who live in eternity... Here are the prayers of those of us who live in time. Here's what I came to say today. It's this. When your expectations let you down, you've got to lay them down. When your expectations of God let you down, you have a choice whether I'm going to lay God down or my expectations down. You've got to lay your expectations down. That's the only way that Carol made through it, what she went through in her life take a look at this story.
1: One of God's greatest gifts is the gift of grandparenting. In 2002, our prayers and our expectations were realized. Our very first granddaughter, born on March 27th, Orion Mae Melton to our daughter Crystal and her husband Andy. To say the least, we were overjoyed. God had been good to us. As a grandma, my prayer life took on a different dimension. Prayers for Orion, prayers for Andy and Crystal as they parented, prayers for myself on how to be a good grandma, Uh, what a joy. We celebrated Easter together that year and it was many sweet memories. That Sunday after Easter on April 7th, after 12 days of a healthy, seemingly healthy life Our sweet Orion went from her parents' arms to the arms of Jesus. Questions, disbelief, shock, expectations crushed. No first step, no first day of school, no graduation. Don't you care, God? You could have made her perfect. Did you fail us? Why allow? Our children to go through such pain. Our hearts were shattered. In my grief I questioned God's goodness, His faithfulness, His joy, His peace. I think growing up I had an understanding that if I prayed just the right way God would always answer yes. So I had difficulty understanding God's thinking. One day as I was studying I wrote in my journal, God I'm in this pit, you know I'm in this pit. I don't have the strength to even reach up and grab your hand. Would you please come down and get me and carry me out?" And he did exactly that. But before he carried me out, he sat with me, he cried with me, and after a while, he did pull me out of that pit. I remember talking to Andy, my son-in-law and the daddy to Orion. And as I was coming out of my depression, I told Andy, You know, until Heaven's Gates, if I don't get the answers until Heaven's Gates, I'm still gonna follow him. And Andy, in the wisdom of a 22-year-old said, so what if you don't get answers at Heaven's Gates? (laughs) And I said, it's not gonna matter, is it? In my time of grief and questioning God, I realized that he doesn't need to give us every answer on this side of heaven. He just wants us to sit with him, invite him to sit with us, and let him cry with us and love us. He has been very good to us.
0: John Stott, um, in his book, The Cross of Christ, he probably said it better than I can say it. I could never myself believe in God, except if it were for the cross. In the real world of pain, how can one worship a God who is immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of this world. But each time after a while, I've had to turn away, and in imagination, I've turned instead to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back, lacerated limbs, rich brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness, He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us and our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. There's still a question mark over human suffering, but we boldly stamp over it another mark. The cross, which symbolizes divine suffering and the promise that all suffering will end The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in a world such as ours. See friends, that's what our God does. That's why I love Jesus so much. And I want you to love him too. And I want you to know who Jesus is because he is God in the flesh who did not remain distant and distant and give us some rule book or some set of things to follow or some ethic to live out and and give us some kind of rescuer from a distance say, here, go after that and you'll be okay. No, he came into our world. And as a human being, he experienced loss and grief. And the same pain and suffering you're going through, God suffered too. And he died and took upon himself and shares with us our pain, our suffering, our broken expectations of living in a fallen, messed up, jacked up world. And probably the most four important words in the Bible come from Philippians 4, which says, rejoice with all those who rejoice. And you say, how? How in a world such as this? And he gives us three, four words. The Lord is near. He invites you and comes near to you to weep and mourn with you. Even though the resurrection is coming, even though he's making a new world, even though that's what the good news of the resurrection is, is that one day there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no mourning and grief. But until then, he's near and he's close and he doesn't think that our pain is light or something to just be brushed away. He feels it right here, and he weeps with you. So when your expectations let you down, you gotta lay them down. That's what we're going to do today in this moment. Our prayer team, go ahead and get up and go around the room. If you need prayer, someone to pray with you, for you, elders, staff, volunteers, go ahead and you guys get up and go around the room. People will be in the back, will be along the sides, will be up front, would love to pray with you, however you need prayer. We have communion around, and stations around the room. And so in the midst of your suffering, that big question mark doesn't go away. We boldly stamp over at the, the picture of the cross. That's what communion represents. The body of Jesus broken for you and his blood shed for you. Him enduring pain for you. Come take the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. Whenever you feel led. And lastly, we have on these stations around the room, these tiles with markers. We ask you to come right on those tiles, your broken expectations. What are they? Some said last service, divorce. Some say parents who've died. Some said that I, my life is a mistake. What are your expectations, your burdens that you're carrying, that God is calling you today to lay at the feet of Jesus? Come do that in this moment because when our expectations let us down, we've got to lay them down. So let's do that today.